Today is August 12, 2020. This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. I am Dawn McCarthy, and I was at Hofstra at WRHU from the years 1992 to 1996 under the pseudonym Dawn Dressler. Um, yeah, those late 90s. <laughs> so Fun when time. you were at... When you were at WRHU, uh, what shows did you host and or produce? Um, I started, the first thing I started with was the classics from Hofstra, because I think that that's what we made everybody start with. Um, But I did, oh, I don't even, Will's going to kill me that I don't remember what the name of the jazz show was. But I The Jazz Cafe. That's it memories uh the jazz cafe and i did rock and roll oasis and i did airwave although i didn't like the one to three shift i liked the 11 to one shift better with airwave spent a lot of time um producing for basha and spinning her records and then filling in for tony jackson an awful lot and i did some stuff with oh with irv simner what was the name of that show out behind the barn. Brian, how do you remember this stuff? <laughs> yes, out behind the barn. That was fun. So yeah, those those were the shows that I did that I can remember. Oh, and then in my my senior year, I did the morning show with Hotshot Brian Scott, where we argued a lot because he called people idiots, and then I would yell at him. Um, so we did the morning show for that year fall semester and the spring semester forced myself to get up early and open the station um before it was 24 hours <laughs> mm-hmm. so what titles and positions what management uh positions did you hold at wrhu well i walked in to rhu probably in august of 1992 and this is a long story, but I'll probably show the story later. But I was almost immediately given the job of traffic director because they didn't have one. Um, so that was a really great trial by fire was also the first time I heard that phrase um, at RHU. And so I, I started out as a traffic director. And then in my sophomore year, I was the pod, the program operations director. And then junior year, I became station manager, which um, was a really great learning experience. And then senior year, I stepped out of management and um, did the morning show. Okay. I think think that's my order. Okay. So this is a multi-part question, and you can answer in whatever order. In my mind, this all ties together. But what first brought you down to the radio station? Where was the radio station when you went there? And do you remember meeting anybody in particular? Do you remember anything about the office or the studio or the building, uh, the way things looked, the way things smelled, the way things were organized or not organized? What was your first impression when you arrived at Hofstra Radio? Well, I I always thought I was going to be on the radio. <laughs> um, and funny how life has a way of doing different things for you, but I knew that, okay, if I'm going to go to this school, it's going to be because the communications department is awesome. And, um, 
So I, I definitely knew that I wanted to join the radio station. So my first, I guess it was even before I moved in on campus, my mother, who was a longtime employee, now retired, had said, why don't you just go down to RHU in the basement of Memorial Hall and go talk to Jeff Krause? So I was like, Ma, no, I don't want to. And she's like, no, you should really go do that and just kind of let them get to know you. So I muster up the courage to get in this maze of Memorial Hall. I was told it was under bits and bytes. So I, I like walk into bits and bytes and I have no idea how to get to the basement. Um, but somebody directed me down these stairs and I'm walking through these catacombs of hallways until I finally see this long hallway going all the way down to leading to nowhere with some rooms on the side. And uh, I see the lights on and I see lots of people in there and I walk in and the first person I see, ironically enough, is Christy Jasberg, who happened to be a longtime friend of mine from elementary school. Christy and I, my sister were really good friends. I was really good friends with Christy's younger sister. So it was just very surprising. I had no idea that she was affiliated with RHU at all. So she's the first person I see. And she was just like, Donnie, what are you doing here? And I'm like, here I am entering into college and someone is referring to me as Donnie. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm never going to live this down. So um, she asked me what I was doing down there, what I was interested in. And I said, I'm here to speak to Jeff Krause. And I think it was one of the only times that Jeff was... Um, at the station before he was really ill. And um, I remember seeing him sitting at a back desk and he looked so intimidated that there was no way I was going to go up to this man. And Christy just kind of took the lead. Um, instead of me talking to him, she was just like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I, I don't know. I just wanted to come down here and check it out. So she's like, well, we need a traffic director. And I was like, great, I'll do that. And I'm thinking that I'm going to be standing on the corner of Hempstead Turnpike, like just talking about what's happening. If there are cars at the stoplights, if there's, if there's literally traffic on Hempstead Turnpike, because I had no idea that this actually meant logging all the PSAs um, into the schedule for our disc jockeys to play during various parts of the show. So she shows me this log of things that have the names of shows and these PSAs. And it was all in Christie's handwriting, which was very comforting. She's like, oh, it's very easy. All you have to do is do this. And I was like, all right, great. So we talked a little bit more and she sent me on my way. And I went home and I told my mother that I, I went down to the radio station. I already have a job. <laughs> so that's, that's how I got down there. Um, and, and that was my home for those four years. I don't think that there was ever a day um, from August 1992 until June of 96 that I did not step foot in RHU. Um, a, little yeah. bit, a little bit earlier, you said something to the effect of you knew you were going to be in radio or you knew you were interested in radio. Was there an experience that you had before college that uh, directed you that way? No, I just listened to Z100. And I was like, that sounds like fun. 
So I thought, you know, both of my sisters are in education, so I want to do something different, and I like to talk. So let's give that a try. I also didn't consider myself much of an academic um, because I didn't, um, I, I, I did okay in high school, but I wasn't, you know, one of the, the sharpest students. Um, I was your average 85 you know, average kind of kid. So I didn't think of myself so much as a scholar. Um, and I was intimidated by college and I wasn't sure if I was really going to be successful. So the fact that radio was something that appealed to me was comforting. And that's why I chose to go into it. And then when I started to learn all about about what it takes and being on this non-commercial radio station, it was really liberating um, and fun to just be in the booth and have the mic and, and talk and, you know, seg in between songs and give a little bit of tidbits. But, you know, the interesting thing is what I also learned about myself from being down in RHU was that I could not compete with half of the useless knowledge that you people have known. Like, Fun facts about any little thing you, the people down at RHU, they knew anything and everything about everything. Useless knowledge. And I was just, I didn't have that. So I was always intrigued by the conversations happening in the office because it would be about either sports or it would be about just current events or or Lenny Kravitz, or something, you know, nothing related, but it, people had a lot of knowledge. And I just felt like I'm learning so much stuff from everybody that I'm talking to that even on, on the air, I can't compete with the, with, with extending my voice and talking about nonsense for extended periods of time. Um, so it was always fun to listen and to listen to my peers and the things that they were saying and, you know, on their shows, the connections they were making. I always found that to be really intriguing because like, even you, Brian, you knew like so much about certain music and I had like no facts. And my, my sister would always tell me, why are you like a radio major again? I'd hear a song and she'd be like, do you know who sings this? And I'd it would be like the who and I have no idea who this is and she's like you call yourself a radio major this is an important song you should know this and and still to this day I'm still terrible with facts and I get them wrong all the time so it's probably a blessing that people aren't listening to me on a regular basis um but yeah I learned a lot from just listening I that's where I learned how to listen um was it RHU because I I always talked. I talked more than I listened and I learned how to listen, which was beneficial for my career now. So when you were brand new at the station and you had this position as, as the traffic director, um, you had to learn how to be a DJ. So uh, you had to take engineering classes and announcing classes. Were there things that you recall about those classes, things that you learned, maybe someone that you were in class with or who taught you the class? What did you take away from those classes? You know, it's funny because I, the more learning I remember was, was the stuff behind the microphone when I was at the board. And it was always more 
getting the feedback when I did make a mistake. Um, and I was always good with taking criticism because I knew that I was making a lot of mistakes. And I, I remember people being very supportive in providing feedback in order to correct me to make me better. And one of the first things I remember, one of my first newscasts, um, because when, when you're working a shift, it's so much different than a class because you, I remember having to like go to the AP machine and pick up my copy and, and pre-read my copy and then choose exactly what I'm going to read in between, you know, for my top of the hour break. And those were things that I didn't really get or even remember much in the classes. I remember being very intimidated by like editing. Whenever we had to splice and cut a tape, it made me highly anxious because I was afraid I was going to do it wrong. And there were times that I would put the tape on backwards. And then when I would play it back, it would play right. And then it would be like, and then it would go correct again um, because I just did not do that well. So as I was continuing on my radio journey, the more I realized that like, okay, this is probably not going to end up the career for me. But the, the, the interesting thing is that I am having the time of my life and I am having so much fun. Um, but the learning experiences behind the board, I remember my first, one of the first top of the hour newscasts that I gave and the copy that I read, I was doing some sports. And I, one of the stories was, I don't even remember the, the hockey team, but I said the name Mario Lemieux wrong. And I don't even remember how, what I said, but I said it the way it looked and Lee Howard was there to gently <laughs> correct me and then off mic, give me an, a complete lesson on different hockey players and phonetically how to say their names. And honestly, from that lesson, never again did I butcher a person's name <laughs> um, when I was making announcements, when I was reading the, the sports for hockey, and which is ironic because I... My family is a hockey family now. My kids play. They're watching it upstairs. If you hear screaming, that's why. It's because the Caps are losing. But it's, um, I just, those were the learning experiences was while I was on the board. And when I, if I made a mistake, how kind people were, but were also really invested in helping you be better um, and improving. And I felt that by the end of my four years, when I was doing the morning show, I got a compliment from my sister who said, you sound so professional. You sound really good. And, um, I was surprised. I was like, Oh, great. That's, that's really cool. And, and then I obviously started working in the industry, um, for a little bit and thought, okay, this is what I trained for. So it, it was validating that I was able to kind of move on even though it wasn't where I stayed. Um, but who knows what, what life will bring at you if I ever go back now that we've got podcasts and stuff. So you have a very specific memory of that, that Mario Lemieux story. Do you remember your first time on the air live or the first time you were running a board by yourself? I honestly, I don't remember it. And probably the reason why, because I was so freaking nervous it's blocked. I, I probably need some like some serious therapy, like hypnosis or something. It's probably repressed um, because I can't, I know, like, I, I think it was a classics from Hofstra because 
well, like I said, everybody kind of started with the classics from Hofstra, but I also was able to, um, I was at being a piano player. I was familiar with many of the complicated names of composers and, um, conductors and things like that. So I think it was like a 9 a.m. classics from Hofstra shift. Um, but I know I was really nervous and, and, um, running the board, I don't remember the first, I, I watched a lot, you know, this was before we had the training classes because when I started in 90, in 92, this was, uh, Jeff Krause was ill. So he was kind of not even there. I had never, that one time that I saw him behind the desk was the only time that I had seen him and he had passed away shortly after. So we were in that flux of, um, getting a new general manager and Suziza was running the station and was doing a great job. And, but the learning part was, um, was really like trial by fire, where I remember, you know, two years later, doing all the training classes with Bruce and, and executing the, the start of those training classes was so much more in depth and comprehensive than the experience that I got. So I did a lot of watching and observing in the beginning before I, I probably, God, I started at the end of August. It probably wasn't well until October before I felt comfortable like, okay, I can cue a record now. <laughs> and and I would watch people, you know, put the record on the turntable and then put the needle on and then hold it while the turntable is spinning underneath so they can cue it right up to the sound and then let it go. And that totally like blew my mind. And then when I was able to do that and do it like flawlessly it like I was like that takes skill that was kind of cool um but that's how I remember learning just a lot of observing until I felt confident like yeah okay I can do this but I don't remember exactly when that was or or you know what show it was or what shift it was or who was there I think I was kind of in my mind thinking all right this is this could be the classics from Hasha and nobody's listening <laughs> which we were always told someone was listening. And it was true. Someone was always listening. Um, so, yeah. I wish I remembered, but I don't. I don't. You mentioned Christy Jasberg earlier that you knew her uh, prior to coming down to the station, and she was very helpful and obviously got you a job right away. Were there other people who were really helpful or that you looked up to and said, that's the way I want to do it. Or conversely, were there people who were like, well, no, I'm not doing that. Who were, who were some other influences in those early days for you? Oh gosh. Um, you know, when I saw Christy and Christy, Christy Red and, uh, and, uh, Christy Jasberg, they had their rock and roll oasis shift on Monday nights. I believe. And, um, I watched them and they were having a fun time. And, uh, I, I was thinking that's, they had just a really cool dynamic between the two of them. Um, watching Will Shelley was always, and listening to Will. And I, I usually my shift, I remember always coming in, um, 
either while Will was leaving or Will was coming in after me. I think I I think I it would be my shift first and then Will would come in. So I would watch Will prep and then I'd kind of slowly work my way out of the studio because I just liked to watch him in action. Um because and I don't know if it was his confidence, if it was his knowledge, if it was all of the above. He was so smooth. Um the way he transitioned and just the the pieces we had a lot of um autonomy in picking the pieces that we played um and in real life you don't get to do that um and so i think watching him go through master control and pull the records because back then it, we had lots of records pull the records pull the cds shift, you know, materials over to, to grab what he was going to play for that day. And then the fact that like he would come up with themes and a lot of people came up with themes, you know, um, and I can't remember them all off the top of my head. I think Brian, you did a show once that was like all songs, like with the same title, <laughs> like different thing, or like, I don't know if it was the same title or they all had the same word in it, but people were so creative with coming up with playlists and themes for their shows that were so unique. And um, I never considered myself that creative. Or I think I was just so um, self-conscious about myself that I didn't allow myself to have that creativity. So I just kind of enjoyed watching what everybody else was doing. Um, but I didn't have the courage to kind of step forward and do it myself if that makes any sense. Um, but that's, I guess, sometimes what happens when you're in your late teens, early twenties is you have some confidence, but not quite enough. Cause you're still trying to figure out who you are and what you're doing. Um, that was also the time that we were revamping programming. So rock and roll Oasis was a new name. Jazz cafe was a new name. Airwave was like a new concept. And so the fact that we were putting all this programming on that was somewhat new, even though um, they were new titles, even though maybe the format and the style was similar from what RHU had done in the past. There was still an engine there of people that were like, ooh, we're going to make this our own and we're going to create this. And I was more like, again, the observer, just watching everybody go and and rooting them on and just thinking like, wow, where where is Todd packer getting this idea to do a local band show you know like that was so cool and i think that that's one of the that's a memorable show too was the local band show and that's probably because my husband was on the local band show and it was um you know one of those times where you got to really enjoy some of the young bands out there that were creating their own music and playing at the local bars and promoting their shows and um, so I spent a lot of time listening to that too. Those are those are like the clearest memories. I think as I'm like like um, thinking about all this and free associating all these memories, more things are going to come up into my head. <laughs> <laughs> but there were quite a lot of people that had um, really good ideas um, that were it was just nice to see them go to work and, and and do it so you've heaped a lot of praise on your peers and i think you've undersold yourself a little bit in terms of your 
uh, creative and uh, content input. And at the same time, you were immediately, you got a job right away. And so, so there's, there's two very different things going on in terms of your uh, fitting in and your comfort level. So at what point do you think there was a point or a moment uh, or a time period where you said, yeah, I'm good here? Like not, not that you were overly intimidated, not that you were overly familiar yet, but a point where you settled in and said, yeah, I belong here and this is where I want to be. That was in the very beginning. Um, and I knew it was the executive board that I would be able to use my strengths and talents. So while I, while I didn't think I had it creatively, I knew that the well-oiled machine that RHU was, um, that I could be a, you know, a good part of keeping it as it's going and keeping it, uh, keeping it going as far as the management part of it. Um, cause I liked having the task. I liked scheduling, um, you know, and I can't even remember as program operations director, as, as pod, what it was that I did, but I had so much fun with that. Sophomore year of college was, it was just a fun time to be in the station. And I think it was, it was one of those things that you, you know, I was on the administrative board, but not quite the executive board. Um, so I had a voice in meetings, um, but I, I liked being helpful to people. Um, and I liked being part of making the, the station work and making it flow and making sure that, you know, that slots were filled and shifts were covered and that we weren't going to have dead air and, you know, living on campus and then living so close to the station, being those, one of those people that would be like in a snowstorm, you can call me because I will, I will sign on at 7am. There's nothing that can keep me from doing that because I'll just put on my boots and take a sled and walk, you know, from my house to, to start up the station. And so keeping it running, that was where I knew that I could be helpful, maybe even influential um, in working with people. And I, I, you know, I loved, I I wanted to do things differently than the people before me. So like when I became station manager, um, I don't know if I had my weekly memos, like Brian, you had some great Mm -hmm. weekly memos. And I just remember at the reunion reading through some of the things that you had written. And, um, it was, a different kind of time once we moved into the new mm-hmm. facility um, in Dempster Hall that things were done a little bit differently because we had the training classes. And that was where like was where I was finding my niche in in the training classes. And Bruce and I, when we first started that, our first training class, I think, had something like 15 people in the first semester. And then by the second semester, we were at like 30. And then by my senior year, we were having to cap it. And we had to turn people away because we didn't have enough seats for the training class, which was an overwhelming response as far as people wanting to be a part of WRHU. So I think that that's where my contribution kind of 
flourished was in that teaching element, which doesn't surprise me because as I ended up continuing, um, I ended up in education. Um, so it's that when I started teaching those classes, I was like, I like that part of it, teaching people how to do it, um, answering their questions and then supervising them while they're learning, um, and just being, being there to help them. Um, and then all that other observation stuff they get from just being, being present and, um, and seeing all the different programming that we had to offer and, you know, whatever ideas that they should have that the sky was the limit. You know, you have an idea, you want to do something on the air, bring your idea, have a proposal, set everything up, produce it, and boom, now you've got yourself a show. Um, and so, so to be able to help people get to that, I thought was really, really cool. So that that idea of people coming in with an idea brings me sort of to the, the, the wrap-up question that I usually come to. And, and you've spoken very eloquently about what the station meant to you in, in looking back as, as an adult and looking back even as, you know, a third year and fourth year participant at the station. And you kind of answered this earlier, but to, to sort of bring it back, when you walked in the door at Memorial Hall, what did you think WRHU would be for you? What did it mean when you were 18 years old and walking in that door? What did you think was going to happen? that this that that place was going to always have a positive influence on my life um and that no matter what i end up doing and it's true even today that there are skills that i have learned from being part of rhu that help me today and you know, one of the one of the shows that I loved back then was Frasier, and now that I'm in mental health, and I'm a therapist, I'm like, wow, you know, I loved what Frasier did. That he, you know, would go on the air and he'd have his show and he'd get questions and he'd psychobabble at people. And I would probably do things differently, but it's one of those things that, um, it's probably one of the things that I would like to do is to be able to bring, um my work to, um, to greater audiences that people can learn from or listen to, you know, parenting skills, um, mental health issues, um, and to be able to bring that aspect of my life um, coupled with the skills that I learned at RHU to a, a bigger well, that's a that's a very adult um, and and really magnanimous thought, and that's that's the sign of an adult who's who's processed this. I want you to put yourself in your shoes when you were eighteen, and and you kind of talked about this before that your mom said go down to the radio station and go talk to Jeff Krause, and and you walk in. What 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 were you hoping this station? would be? What did you think you were going to get out of it as an 18-year-old without knowing what's going to come next over the next four years? What were you hoping in that when you initially crossed that threshold? I was hoping some nobody was going to yell at me <laughs> <laughs> or tell me, go away, or we don't need anybody. Come back later. I, I really, I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. Um, 
because I didn't know who I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know if I if I was I was you know because I had been on a campus before. I'd gone into lots of different offices, and you know the doors are always closed, and maybe you leave a note with the secretary. That's what I thought I was going to be doing leaving a note with a secretary saying, this is my name and this is what I want to do. And this is my phone number. So, you know, you can call me and, uh, you know, I can do this. That's what I expected. And then when I saw this office um, with lots of people, there was probably about seven or eight people, but that's still a lot. And all the desks were like, you know, pushed up against each other. And I noticed immediately in the corner, the hanging forest of toothpicks hanging from the ceiling. And I'm I'm like, this, this looks like a lot of fun. And the bumper stickers were there and people were on the phone and people, everybody ignored me except for Christy because they were working, they were doing something. So my 18 year old self was like, wow, this place is hopping. Like, what is all this? What is everybody doing? And why are they doing it? And what does this have to do? Like, I didn't see any microphone in the office. I hadn't even been down to master control. I hadn't had a tour. I didn't know what the music office was. I didn't know what what multi-track was or two-track. So I, I just thought it was this office. And I had no idea, like, what, I'm like, okay, so where do you talk from? Because I was still very, like, naive about how does this happen? Um, so my 18-year-old self was, was, I don't necessarily, I wasn't intimidated, but I was eager to just, like, explore. I was eager to explore. And, and then, like, the first time I remember walking through the hallways and being to go into master control, the, the recording light was on, the on-air light was on. So we couldn't go in right away. And I was just like so intrigued by, wow, someone's talking right now, like on the other side of this door. And people that are tuned in to 88.7 are hearing what that person is saying. And that just like, like was mind blowing to me as an 18 year old. Um, you know, and then the light went out and I opened the door and Christy, I don't even remember who was sitting in there. Um, but Christy brought me in and said, this is master control. And I saw the board and I was like, Oh crap. Like I'm good. She's like, you're going to learn how to use this thing. It's easy. And I was like, yeah, right. Okay. Whatever. Um, and she was right. And I think, no, it didn't have people would talk about the old board with the knobs on it. That was in, I think, two track or something. Um, but this one had the sliders. So that was a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, I was, I was thinking I've got a lot to, to explore here. And, and that's what I was thinking as an 18 year old. Like, I don't, I don't know what to expect, but this looks like a hell of a lot of fun. And so we're just going to jump in. And so I did. Dawn, this was a tremendous amount of fun and uh, really incredibly interesting. Thank you very much. Let's do this again sometime soon. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon.